Good morning again, and uh, let's just celebrate these baptisms this morning. And man, I love hearing those stories. And uh, just to encourage you, we've been praying for God to move. And um, between January 9th and today, between our two campuses, we'll have seen more than 80 people go public in their faith in believers' baptism. And uh, man, God is just doing some incredible things here. And this morning, we're continuing a series that we started a couple weeks ago called Rediscover. And what we're doing in this series is we're rediscovering God's unique mission for New Beginnings Baptist Church. We have been in a season, uh, some of our leadership, of just seeking the Lord for the last nine uh, plus months, recognizing that there was a new direction, not a a complete uh, right or left turn, but just a a new way of approaching the mission that God has given us. And so we've just been praying, uh, we've been seeking the Lord, we've been analyzing our church, looking at our community, examining scriptures, coming back to some of the basic principles that, that has grounded us as a faith family, and just really ask the Lord, you know, what are you doing that's new? What direction are you leading us. And so uh, this sermon series is the first part of a four-part plan that we'll be rolling out uh, this year. And so after Easter, we'll have another part of this that we'll introduce to you uh, as God leads us. And we're still meeting, we're still praying, and we're still building uh, some of the last two parts of this plan that we're going to be walking through this year. But this this morning, we're going to continue moving through our vision statement, our new mission statement, rather. Uh, And it's simply this. This is what we introduced a couple of weeks ago, is that uh, this is who we are. We are people connecting people to Jesus and is ever restoring life where we live, work, and play. That is the mission statement that we are embracing as a faith family called New Beginnings Baptist Church. People connecting people to Jesus and is ever restoring life where we live, work, and play. And so as we've been working through this, what we've been doing starting two weeks ago and then continuing in this series is we're just double-clicking on the various phrases here and, and looking more in depth at each phrase so that we can understand from the scriptures what it is that uh, God's calling us to do and how it applies to our life. Two weeks ago, we talked about people and we just, we just honed in on what does it mean for us to be a people. And what we discovered is that the church is not a building. The church is not a place that you attend. The church is not a gathering that you come to. The church is a people who have been set apart by Jesus to serve on his mission. And so you are the people of God. I am the people of God. We together as New Beginnings Baptist Church, we are the people of God. We have been saved and now we have been sent on the mission of helping others experience the ever-storing life that's found in Jesus. And this, why this is important is because I wanna make sure we understand when we talk about a mission statement for New Beginnings Baptist Church, we're not talking about a mission statement for an organization. We're not talking about, okay, our offices and our ministries and our programs, that's what the pastors and staff do, and me as a church member, I just kind of help them do that. No, this is a mission that we embrace together. This is a calling that you have for your life if you're a part of this church family to live every single day. It's a calling that I have to live every single day. So it's your mission, it's my mission, and because of that, it should become our mission. Does that make sense? 
And so we wanna see yourself in this, not something on a wall, but yourself in a calling that God has for your life. Well, this morning, we're gonna talk about the next part of the phrase, connecting people to Jesus. And here's what I want us to see this morning. I want us to see that it's all about Jesus, that everything that we do is, is to point people to Jesus. It is to connect people to Jesus. We have been saved, set apart, and sent by Jesus for the sole purpose of connecting other people to Jesus. This is the mission of God's life, of, of, of your life that God has given you. This is your divine calling. So I want you to lean in this morning because as we unpack this connecting people to Jesus, here's what I want you to discover. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to see very clearly that your sole purpose every single day should be for you to see how you can connect people that God puts in front of you to Jesus. That that's your mission in life, regardless of how that fleshes itself out in your vocation, in your recreation, in your location, in your neighborhood where you live, your work, where you live, work, and play, regardless of where those circles are, you exist in those places. God has placed you there so that you can connect people who need to know Jesus to Jesus so they can experience his ever-restoring life. And if you're not a believer in the room this morning, I wanna give you a reason this morning to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I wanna show you what Jesus can do in your life. And so as I talk to followers of Jesus about sharing Jesus, if, you're, if you need to know him, then you're gonna learn this morning why it is that you need to know him and you're gonna get an invitation to respond to him. So Acts chapter four is where we're gonna be. Grab your Bible and let's go there. This is a, a powerful uh, chapter of scripture. And, and one of the things that's interesting this week, I, I actually planned to preach another passage and so for weeks, we've been kind of planning out, even had uh, sermon briefs written for another passage of scripture. But in our Bible reading plan, hopefully you're doing that. We're reading through the book of Acts. And when I got to Acts chapter four, it was like, man, this is where I gotta preach uh, on this coming Sunday. And so we kind of changed the direction and we're gonna preach this Acts chapter four. And here's why. When you see the book of Acts unfold, the book of Acts is the story of how the Holy Spirit empowered the church to be mobilized on the mission of God. And what you discover in the entire book of, of Acts is how Jesus' ministry, if you look at Jesus' life, Jesus, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, spent his days connecting people to himself, offering himself as a sacrifice for our sin, resurrecting and ascending back to heaven. And in the book of Acts, it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that the mission that Jesus uh, has given us is given to the church and lived out. And so when you look at the book of Acts, here's a great summary. The book of Acts is simply people connecting people to Jesus and his ever restoring life where they live, work and play. I mean, that's the story of the book of Acts. It's Holy Spirit uh, filled people living on mission every single day. And so what I wanna do this morning is look at one particular moment in the, the book of Acts, in Acts chapter four, and here's the story. Acts chapter three is where we get the context. Peter and John are now, man, they're full of the spirit, they're preaching, they're sharing, the church is growing, people are coming to faith in Christ. And they're on their way specifically to the temple to pray, it was the time of prayer. Now this is important. It's because this would have been a part of the regular rhythm of their life. So as they're making their way to the temple for this time of prayer, uh, they're, they're on their way and God is gonna put a divine opportunity in front of them. In other words, where they live, work, and play. In the ebb and flow of life, that's where the mission of God is lived out. And you see this in Peter and John here. They're on the way to the temple and on the way, they come across this beggar. This beggar has been sitting outside this place for decades. 
and he, he is, he's lame, he can't walk, so he's dependent upon the, the kindness of religious people going to a religious place uh, for money and for survival. And as they pass by him, he cries out for them to give to him. And he, they, the, Peter turns around and looks, he was, a, a, you know, I guess broke, and he just says, look, man, silver and gold, we don't have any. I don't have silver and gold. What I do have, I'm gonna give freely to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, miracle takes place. This man is healed. And immediately, everyone is astonished. The crowds gather around because this man who's been there for decades is now walking and he's praising Jesus and he's holding on to Peter and John. Well, immediately the crowds gathered around Peter and John and they now have what I would call a kingdom platform. This was a, an opportunity for them to share the gospel, and they did. They pointed everything to Jesus. We're gonna to get to that in a minute. And as people are responding to Jesus, the religious leaders now, they get word about what's happening, and now they get uh, Peter and John arrested, brought into uh, their private chambers where now they are uh, kind of in an interrogation room asking them what in the world just happened. And so here's what I want you to see. You're gonna see that both in the crowds and with the Sanhedrin, this religious leaders who now have them in custody, they're gonna preach the same message and their, their message is gonna center on Jesus and Jesus alone. And here's what I wanna do. As we look at Peter and John's life, I want us to see an example of what it looks like to live a life for the purpose of connecting people to Jesus. Acts chapter four, if you're there, say, I'm there. Start reading in verse number eight. He says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, we are, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, and by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you, uh, to all of you and to all of the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This, this little segment here uh, is a snapshot for us of what it looks like to be men and women who simply live to connect people to Jesus. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you three insights into Peter and John's life Three insights that empowered them to live this way that can empower us to live this way. So the things that we're gonna highlight about their life, listen, that it's not, it's not exclusively for them. This is for you and for me and every single follower of Jesus Christ. We can live this way. And when we do, this is how we'll live our life. We will connect people to Jesus in his ever restoring life. Here's number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first insight I wanna give you. What, what made them different? How were they empowered to live this way? Number one, they walked in the, full, in, the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. They walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're gonna live a life where you connect people to Jesus, it requires that you walk in the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is an essential part of our life. Look at verse eight. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Now, now press pause here for a minute. And, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice this, it doesn't say, and then in this moment, Peter, filled with knowledge. It doesn't say, Peter, filled with self-confidence. It doesn't say, Peter, uh, filled with understanding of how to use the three circles of evangelism. It doesn't say Peter filled with courage. It says Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, opened his mouth and spoke. 
Listen to me, one of the reasons I believe that believers, one of the excuses we, believe, we, we, we make as believers, I'll get the sentence out in a minute, in a minute. one of the excuses we use and the reason why we don't share our faith is because we say things like this, well, I just don't know enough. I just don't have all the answers. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as confident in my faith. Like I don't have the courage that, that I need to have to share the gospel. And here's the thing that I want you to know. Jesus has never asked you to fulfill the great commission on the basis of your knowledge, your confidence, or your courage. His intention has always been that you advance the great commission in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That it is not about your gifting, your knowledge, your training, your education, your ability, or any of those things. It, it is in the fullness of the Holy Spirit that you are given what you need. And here's what I love. I love it is that, that, that when you see this playing out in the life of Peter and John, you're just seeing an overflow of the, of the, of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Say, so what does it mean to be uh, full of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Being filled with the Holy Spirit simply means that our life is under the influence or under the control of the Holy Spirit. Um, let, let me use this illustration. So in the Bible, you'll see things like this. You'll see, and they were filled with fear or they were filled with awe or they were filled with amazement, right? And so when we see those phrases, they were filled with fear, here's what we know. We know that they were dominated by fear that they were consumed by fear. They were defined by fear, right? They were filled with awe or wonder. We know that, they, that in that moment, something happened that they were defined, controlled by, under the influence of this amazement at whatever it is that they're, they're filled with, right? So we get the context for that. So when it's filled with the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? It means that we are overwhelmed with the Spirit. We are under the control of the Spirit. We are defined by the Spirit, and this is what Jesus tells us is the power we need to live on the mission of connecting people to him. You see this very early, even as early as Jesus gives the great commission. I want you to think about this for a minute. When Jesus gives the great commission to his disciples, to his followers, now eyes right here for a second. I want you to understand who the audience is. Jesus is giving the great commission of going and connecting people to him to the very people that walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, heard his teaching at his feet, these were the people that, that saw him perform miracles. They saw the depth of his message as he perplexed all of the religious leaders of the day. These are the men and women who had a front row seat to the greatest teacher on the planet who understood. They saw Jesus die. They saw him resurrect. They saw him ascend. And yet these men and women, when Jesus gives the great commission, he tells them, don't go yet. You gotta wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. So despite their training, despite their teaching, despite all of those things that they witness in the life of Jesus, Jesus says, listen, sitting under my teaching is not enough. You need supernatural power. You need divine power. In fact, we see this, Acts chapter one, we read verse four and five and then, and then verse eight, listen to this. It says in, in verse four, Acts chapter one, it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to part from Jerusalem. He's given them the great commission, but he's saying, Go and make disciples, but don't go yet. And this is why. He says, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
So he, Jesus is saying, what you need to accomplish the mission is not your own ability, ingenuity, creativity, knowledge, classroom time. What you need is supernatural power. You don't have it yet, you gotta wait for it. Verse eight, listen to what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You hear what's happening here? He's saying, listen, this mission I'm calling you to, I'm expecting you to go on this mission, but I'm not expecting you to do the mission in your own power. You need to receive Holy Spirit power. And when you receive Holy Spirit power, then you will be my witnesses. See, it's not until we receive and walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit that we can become people connecting people to Jesus and his ever restoring life. And friends, I just wanna tell you straight up, listen, we, it, our programs here, I think, at New Beginnings Baptist Church are amazing. I think that we're, and we're building right now, I believe it's gonna be one of the, 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 the best discipleship strategies that I've ever been a part of. And I'm gonna walk through it myself. I believe that our kids ministry program is laying an unbelievable foundation. I believe that we're gonna, we're gonna as we move forward, we're gonna train on how to share Christ. But listen to me, if I'm honest with you, all of those things are good, needed, and necessary, but all of those things mean nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. They mean nothing. We need the fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. What I love about this is that Peter and John, they're, they're, they're living on mission. If you go back and read chapter one, and chapter two, chapter three, and chapter four, you're gonna see that the church, the moment they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to proclaim Jesus. They begin to live on Mission, it, it, it came out of them. The entire book of Acts is what we're, what we're seeing happen is, is that every time the, the Holy Spirit, and a number of times it, it, this happens, in the entire book of Acts, every time the Holy Spirit fills his people, every time we see him move, it every time leads to the, the gospel being proclaimed and people being saved. Why? Because it's the power of God at work in the church of God to advance the mission of God, which is the gospel of Jesus. This is why, listen, as a church, we must continually seek God's presence through prayer. This is why we, we, we have restructured everything that we do as a church because we've recognized what we need is the presence of God and the presence of God is found when we call on his name and we submit to him. You see, when we confess sin regularly, and we're, we're living lives of prayer where we're coming uh, empty before the Lord and we're clean before the Lord, what happens is we become a vessel that he can fill. So confession of sin means we're repenting and we're walking away from things that quench the spirit of God in our life. And then when we call on his name and ask for a feeling, he promises that if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, we will find, he will give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is why the early church, if you look at the book of Acts, they were devoted to personal prayer. They were devoted to corporate gatherings of prayer because they recognized that the mission that Jesus had given them, they did not have the gifting or ability or resources to accomplish it. But what they had was the promise that God would give them if they asked for it, his very presence in in their midst. And so they prayed and they prayed continually. It is no accident. Listen, if you look at the book of Acts, Acts chapter two, it says they devoted themselves to the prayer. What is the prayer? It's the corporate gathering of the church in prayer. They devoted themselves to this. This is why we call Wednesday night the prayer. We want to be devoted to the prayer. So it's not, listen to this. Acts chapter two, they devoted to the prayer and then in Acts chapter three, on their way to a prayer meeting, the power of God moves through them to perform a miracle, and then the Holy Spirit filled them to preach the gospel. And prayer was at the very center of it all. 
This is why as a church, we unapologetically will say to you, listen, the most important gathering at New Beginnings Baptist Church is not Sunday, but Wednesday. It is the lifeline of our church. And without the prayer meeting, listen, we will be powerless. You need it in your personal life. I need it in my personal life. We need it in our corporate life. You see this in the book of Acts. In fact, if you don't believe me and you don't believe the Bible, maybe you'll believe Charles Spurgeon. It's not authoritative. This is a man who knows the word. Though. Listen to this. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. He says, if a church is to be what it ought to be for the purposes of God, we must train it in the holy art of prayer. Churches without prayer meetings are grievously common. Even if there were only one such, it would be one to weep over. In many churches, the prayer meeting is only the skeleton of a gathering. The form is kept up, but the people do not come. Oh, my brothers, let it not be so with you. Do train the people to continually meet together for prayer. Rouse them to incessant supplication. There is a holy art in it. Study to show yourself approved by the prayerfulness of your people. And if you pray yourself, you will want them to pray with you. And when they begin to pray with you and for you and for the work of the Lord, they will want to pray themselves and the appetite will grow. Believe me, if a church does not pray, it is dead. Instead of putting united prayer last, put it first. Everything will hinge upon the power of prayer in the church. Listen, we, we need the presence of God in our church. You need the presence of God in your life. And brothers and sisters, it, the power of the Holy Spirit is found on our face before him. Seeking him in earnest, fervent prayer. And we can have all the classes in the world. We can define, I could, we could write, you know, th th this, this mission statement, I love my favorite Responses to our new mission statement, is, is, this is what a guy called it. He said, it's the great commission for dummies. That's the greatest insult I've ever received right there. And he didn't mean it as an insult, but it's a great observation. So we can clarify the mission. We could equip you with all the tools and resources that a church could give you. And without the filling of the Holy Spirit, we will just be men and women full of knowledge. And even if we share, we lack the power. Power of persuasion is not found in the eloquence of the presenter. Power of persuasion is found in the Holy Spirit of God working in our hearts, speaking through us so we could redeem a lost heart. I'll use this illustration. Um, so imagine I'm gonna go to Dallas. Say I'm, I'm gonna take my family to Dallas for a trip. We're gonna go eat at a restaurant and do some shopping. So we get into the car and I know where we're going. There's clarity. We're going to this restaurant I even know how long it's gonna take us to get there. Why? Because I pull up the map and my wife does this. I'll pull the map up on my phone. She pulls it. Now we got two maps going, right? And so, so I've got the destination in mind, the family's in the car, and I've even got the direction on how to get there. But then I go to start the car only to realize there's no gas in the tank. Knowing my destination and having the tools to get there doesn't even matter at that point. Why? Because there's no power in the engine to take us there. 
And so many believers think, if I can just know clearly the mission and I can have the tools, then I'll be able to live on mission. But the problem is, is that the reason most churches aren't reaching people who are lost is not because of an absence of knowledge or the lack of resources or tools, but it's the lack of power. We're not living every day on mission because the Holy Spirit is not filling us. And when he does read the Bible, you will talk about Jesus and share him with those around you. That's number one. That's the longest one you can breathe right now, all right? Here's number two. Here's number two. So uh, they walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, they pointed everything to Jesus. They pointed everything to Jesus. Look what happens in verse, I love this, in, in, in verse Leading up to verse eight, the religious leaders are asking the question, how did you do this? By what power and authority is this man walking? And I love Peter. Peter's looking at him and it's like, so you want us to answer that question? Really want us to answer that question? By what power and authority? You're not gonna like the answer, but I'm gonna give you the answer. It's like Jack Reacher. Remember, you wanted this, right? If you didn't watch that movie, shame on you. All right, verse nine. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers, and the people and the elders, if you are, uh, we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel, listen to this, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. Do you hear the emphasis of their response? They're saying, if you wanna know by what power, let it be known to you and everyone else who would listen. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised. It is by him. The point Peter is making is, is that the answer is, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. And if there's anything we need to become in our confused culture, we need to be a people that say Jesus and Jesus alone, where everything points to him. And I love this. This is, the, this is the response, Jesus and Jesus alone. This is the same response that Peter gave the crowds in chapter three. Look back in chapter three, verse 11. So when they performed this miracle, it says, while he, the, the, the man who was healed, clung to Peter and John, all of the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them into the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Listen to Peter's word. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Peter is saying, why are you looking at me? Why are you staring? You're looking as if it is by our power and Peter very quickly then begins to preach the same thing that he does in chapter four. It is by the power of Jesus whom you crucified who God raised. In other words, it's not by our power it's not by our might or our gifting. It is by Jesus and Jesus alone. Acts chapter two, Peter preaches the first sermon. By the way, if you read Acts chapter two, Acts chapter three and Acts chapter four, Peter preaches three sermons and it's the same message. Three sermons, same message. And I love it every single time. In chapter two, when they came out full of the Holy Spirit and are speaking in tongues, everybody goes, man, they've lost their mind or they're drunk. And Peter's like, it ain't alcohol, it is the Holy Spirit. It's not about us. And he points immediately to Jesus. In Acts chapter three, how did you do this? We didn't, Jesus did. Acts chapter four, how did you do this? We didn't, Jesus did. You get the rhythm of their life here? They pointed everything to Jesus. Listen, you, you're, you don't exist. You're not people connecting people to New Beginnings Baptist Church. You're not people connecting people to you. 
You're not people connecting people to your pastor or to a program. We are people connecting people to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is where the hope of the world is found. And what our people need is Jesus and Jesus alone. I love this. You see this through the entire book of Acts, men and women pointing people to Jesus. And here's why. I want you to write this phrase down if you're taking notes. Listen to this. Here's why that we see this in the book of Acts. Because gospel transformation leads to gospel proclamation. Gospel transformation leads to gospel proclamation. When your life has been utterly transformed by the power of the gospel and when you're living an ongoing life where you're, being, you're experiencing the ever-restoring life of Christ, where you're becoming more and more like him and there's ongoing transformation, when you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which is how transformation happens, you will become a person who naturally, from the overflow of who is in you and what is happening in you, is gonna come out in the lives of others. Gospel transformation leads to gospel proclamation. I mean, like, like Peter and John, in chapter one, Jesus gives the great commission. In chapter two, they receive the Holy Spirit. Chapter two, they're preaching. Chapter three, they're preaching. Chapter four, they're preaching. Chapter five, they're preaching. Chapter six, they continue to preach. Seven, eight, nine, all the way through the book of Acts, what you see is God's people proclaiming the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because when your life is in a pursuit of Jesus, he will be everything to you and you will talk about him a lot. I met a guy, a couple. I have a friend a couple of years ago who, um, he discovered some natural um, ways of dealing with his diabetes, like certain drinks and things, you know, natural things to help manage his diabetes. And this is a man that, that it, it kind of changed his life. And every time I talked to him, every time, he would always talk about this thing that he drinks every day that has regulated his diabetes. In fact, I was talking to a friend uh, this was several years ago and I ran into another friend and, he, and we were somehow, the subject got up, never brought up the guy's name. He says, oh yeah, man, I got a buddy and he's drinking this drink and it changed his life. It's regulated. So I was like, what's his name? And he told me his name. I was like, he told me the same thing. So this guy is evangelizing everybody. You know why? Because his life's been transformed. What if Jesus became so great and powerful in our life that we just like, I, I, gotta, I gotta talk to you about it. Like, you're looking at my life and you're seeing something different. Let me tell you what's happening to me is Jesus. Th this is the heartbeat of what we've been called to. I, I love this. Listen, this is important. See, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, it will lead to gospel transformation. Gospel transformation will lead to you naturally having gospel proclamation, you will share Jesus with the world around you. Listen, and it's not gonna be about your name and your ability and your goodness and your religion. It's not gonna be about all of that. And listen, we gotta combat that. We live in a culture, and I'm gonna say this, we live in a church culture that is very me-centric. We all want our platform, and we all wanna be upstaged. We all, we all wanna get to that, that platform and we, we have a, we're in a culture, in a church culture and just a culture at large with all the social media. We wanna be recognized and noticed and we wanna be celebrated and honored and we want all of these people to think well of us and have this big following. Listen, and that's foreign to the New Testament. The greatest, the greatest, Jesus says John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born of a woman. You know what John said? I must decrease, he must increase. The greatest evangelist of all time, the greatest preacher, pastor, church planner in the history of Christianity is the Apostle Paul. And here's what he says, I have come to know nothing except for Christ and him crucified. Peter, the, the, the one who founded the church in the book of Acts says, 
It's not me, it's Jesus. And oh, that we would live that way. It would come to that place. Now, I love this. Listen to this. When you see, their, when you see the message, when they point to Jesus, this is important that we hear what's happening here. I want you to see Peter's explanation is simple, but it's not easy. And what I mean by this is that when, when Peter is approaching this moment, talking about pointing people to Jesus, it's the simplicity of the gospel. When Peter is in the crowds and they're marveling at them, what does Peter do? Peter says, it's not me, it's Jesus, and let me talk about Jesus. You know what he talks about? The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and the fact that salvation is found in him and him alone. When he's in front of the smartest people on the planet, the religious leaders who knew the law front and back, when they ask, by, by what miracle, how did this happen? Peter does not give a discourse on the doctrine of miracles. He doesn't unpack for them the Trinity and how they've missed it and now the Holy Spirit is in me and this is how, he doesn't do that. He says, okay, let me give you a very simple answer but it's not gonna be easy to hear. This Jesus whom you crucified, God raised to life and he is Lord of all. He is the one God sent. You rejected him but he's the foundation and he's alive and you need to respond to him by faith. And by the way, if you want salvation, it's found in him and him alone. You see the simplicity of this? Like so many of us, we don't share our faith because we think we don't have all the answers. You don't need all the answers. If you knew how to get saved, if you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you can say, hey man, I know Christ. Well, how do you know Christ? Because I believe that he died for my sins, that he resurrected, and that salvation is found in him and him alone. Let me tell you, you have all you need to share Jesus with those around you. What if they ask questions that I don't have the answer to? Point them to Jesus. How do you explain the hypocrisy in the church? We're all sinners and Jesus died. Well, I, you know, there's so many versions of the Bible. Yeah, and, and those versions of the Bible, we don't have time to go into all that, but all of them center on Jesus. So let's just talk about him. Well, how come there's so many denominations? Because uh, people want to chase rabbits and not talk about Jesus like you're doing right now. So let's get back to Jesus. Like, let's, can we, listen. Jesus died for our sins. He was put in a tomb. Three days later, he resurrected. In him, there is salvation, and in him alone. Peter wanted, didn't want them to know about their knowledge or wisdom or the ability to answer the questions. They just wanted them to know Jesus. And we've gotta come to that place where that's where we point everyone to. In all three sermons, Peter preached the same message. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus resurrected, salvation is found in him. That's the message of the church. Point people to Jesus. Here's number last, number three. Write this down. They possess an unwavering confidence in the gospel. They possess an unwavering confidence in the, in the gospel. Look at verse, 12, uh, verse 10. He says, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus, the stone that you rejected, the builders, which has become now the cornerstone. And there is salvation, listen to this, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Do you hear the unwavering confidence in the gospel? 
for there is salvation in no one else. Everybody say no one. Jesus and Jesus alone. There's no one, no other name, only the name of Jesus. Why? We fill with the Holy Spirit, we point people to Jesus. Why? Because no other name been given to us other than the name of Jesus that can bring about salvation. And by the way, we must be saved. You see, an unwavering confidence in the gospel will create an agonizing urgency within us to proclaim the gospel. If we truly believe that no other name has been given, that Christ and Christ alone is the hope of the world and that every single person that's ever been born into sin has the responsibility to respond to Christ and be saved or they will experience an eternity perishing away from them. him. If we know that and we believe that, how could we hold that in? Like your friends right now, think your friends, your loved ones, your coworkers, your relatives, if they don't know Christ, there is no other name that they can trust in other than him. There is no other avenue other than him. And listen, they must be saved or they perish. And see, we, we, we say we have an unwavering confidence in the gospel with unwavering confidence, with no urgency, there is either a lack of confidence or a lack of love. It's just the evidence of the lack of the Holy Spirit. You see, this is simple but not easy, and here's why. Peter and John are standing in front of the very men that condemned Jesus and asked for Jesus to be crucified. Think about that. And they're looking at those men and says, okay, you, you wanna know the answer to that? You know the Jesus that you put on the cross? He's alive. You, you were the builders. You were the ones in the, in the religious structure who were supposed to point to Jesus, but you discarded him because he didn't fit in your box. But the one that you discarded is now the cornerstone and you must bow a knee to him. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is found in no one else other than the one you crucified. Listen, that's a hard message to preach. And listen, and don't think for a moment that Peter was, was angry when he preached it. I don't think at all, the more I read the text, that Peter was trying to gotcha to the religious establishment. You know why? Because it says Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. What comes with the Holy Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering. Now, was there boldness? Was there courage? Yes. I believe Peter is looking at them and says, man, you've got it all wrong. You've missed the boat. You, you don't understand what you've done. You've, you, you've, you've put out the life of the creator of life. God has raised him. And listen, you either bow a knee to him or, or you perish. What would it look like for us to love the world like that? To say hard stuff. To sit across the table from a friend or a family member or a coworker and say, listen, I know that you think you're a good person, that your good works will get you to heaven, that you've been religious, but, but I, I don't know that you have a relationship with Jesus and I, I, I need you to know that you, salvation is found in him and him alone. You submit to him as Lord or you perish like you will die in your sin and your trespass. You say, well, I don't want to offend them. Proverbs says, rebuke from a friend is much better than a kiss from an enemy. And I would much rather take the chances of offending someone into heaven than just to passively let them slip into hell. This is where we have got to understand the unwavering confidence in the gospel, walking in the fullness of the spirit, living lives that, that exist to connect people to Jesus means that we've got to be willing to have hard conversations. The message is simple, but it's not easy. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit power. 
And some of you are in this room, you're like, I know I need to do that. I know I need to do that. I just don't know that I have all of the answers. I just, I need to get some things worked out. I need to figure out how I'm gonna approach it. And here's what I would tell you. Listen, I think you need to be trained and equipped and all of those things that are good, but you don't have to wait until you're equipped and trained and have the answers. If you've got the Holy Spirit and you know the gospel. And I'll say this, this is one of the greatest evangelists in the New Testament is a woman that we don't even know her name, her her. her, her Identity is the woman at the well. In John chapter four, I love this because when you think about our mission statement, people connecting people to Jesus and his ever restoring life where we live, work, and play. What I love about this is that Jesus lived on mission. In the passage of scripture, it says that Jesus is passing uh, through on a journey and he said he must go to Samaria. So Jesus is passing through and he goes to this well on the outskirts of town. And here's why that's significant. There's a reason that Jesus stopped at the well. You know why? He was thirsty, he was hungry, it was lunchtime. It'd be the equivalent of you going, okay, I'm heading home, but man, I've had a long day, I'm tired, I'm thirsty, I'm gonna stop by my favorite restaurant. And there you are at the table and all of a sudden the waitress comes in and you all of a sudden know, are the waiter. And you're like, this is a moment where we live, work and play through the ebb and flow of life. This is how Jesus lived his life. He understood that the father was gonna put divine conversations in his pathway and therefore, even when he was tired and thirsty and hungry, just going through the normal routine of life, he saw an opportunity. And I love this, this woman wanted to chase every rabbit imaginable. And Jesus, what did he do? I wanna talk to you about me. Jesus connected people to Jesus. Why? Because he knew she needed ever restoring life. He saw a woman drinking from the well of relationship and it was destroying her. He saw a woman who was drinking from the well of religion, trying to find some sort of answer to the questions of her life. And Jesus says, you don't have to drink from that well. I'm what you need. I'm what you've been longing for. I love this, just through this everyday moment, circumstance, Jesus, say, I've got what you're looking for. It's living water. It's ever restoring. What I love about this is that this woman, when she hears this, he exposes her. He has hard conversation, points her to himself. And it says this, and the woman left her jar of water. And what's significant is historians tell us and scholars tell us that the reason this woman was there at the time of day she was there is because of her reputation was so tainted that she wanted to avoid the crowds of the community. But she left her water there and this was a symbol of she found something better than what she came for and she runs back into the crowd back into the streets to the very community and the people she's been trying to avoid and I love her message it was so simple come see a man who told me everything I've ever done come and see him 
Could this be the Christ? And I love, I love that her message had a question mark. As if to say, I don't have all the answers. But I have found what I'm looking for. Come see a man. She pointed him to Jesus. I love this. The crowds, they see this woman. Gospel transformation leads to gospel proclamation. Something's different. She avoids us and now she's coming in and she's telling us that she thinks she's found the Messiah. Could it be? And I love this. Doesn't have all the questions answered. But just says, come see a man. And they do. They come out. The whole city comes out and they meet Jesus and she leads the entire village to Christ. With one simple message. Come see a man. The reason I, I get so emotional about this and I know the wells I drink from. But then I met Jesus. remember where he found me and where I would be without him man it makes me want to say to people come see a man who changed my life forever and I don't have all the answers the questions of life what you're going through but here's what I know I met a man and he's changed me and he can change you and I love this village comes out and they meet Jesus and they turn and look at her and said we believe, not because of your testimony, but because we saw him ourselves. What would it look like for you this week? We've been praying for God to save hundreds of people this past year. Many of you have people in your family, in your work, and in your neighborhoods that don't know Christ. You've been praying for them by name. What would it look like for you to stop praying for them and start sharing with them? And I don't mean stop praying together altogether. But I mean, stop hiding behind praying and say, God, I need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I know I've got this friend that I need to share you. I need to point them to you and I need confidence in the gospel. And what would it look like for you this week to call them and say, hey, let's go have coffee. Let's go have breakfast and, and just sit at the table and say, man, I don't know where you are spiritually. But for whatever reason, God has had me praying for you and for your heart and for your eternity. And I want to tell you about a man that I met that changed my life and invite them into relationship with you. Invite them like, like you want him in your life. What would that look like? We make this so hard when it's as simple as come see a man. Come see a man. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. And there are some of you in the room right now, you need Jesus. You need to trust him as your Lord and Savior. And here's the simple invitation to you this morning. Come see a man who can change your life forever. He can make you new today. 
right now where you are, if you know you need Jesus, I'm gonna invite you just to pray a simple prayer. Jesus, pray this right now. If you know you need him, Jesus, I need you to save me. I know that you died for my sin and I know you resurrected so that I could be saved. I need you to change my life. With no one looking around, I wanna, I wanna encourage you. I love when this woman preached this to the crowds. They immediately began to leave where they were, whatever they were doing, and they just came into the town. Why? Because they, they wanted to see the man. So right now, if you are in this room and you just now pray to receive Jesus, say, I need to get this settled. I need to know that I know him. And I prayed with you just a moment ago, pastor. I wanna know this man. But here's what I'm gonna get you to do with no one looking around. I'm gonna ask you just to stand where you are. If you're with someone, you can tap them and say, hey, I gotta stand up. They'll stand with you. This is not to embarrass you. This is just to say, the invitation is to come see a man if you're trusting him today, then you need to let someone in on that. So right now where you are, thank you. There's some standing already. Any others? Any others? You're not alone. Praise God. We're gonna have some decision encouragers near you right now if you're standing and I'm gonna encourage you just to just to pray with them for a minute so our decision encouragers would walk toward those who are standing just so that they have an easier pathway to you and um, they're gonna pray for you and encourage you if you're with a friend tell them hey I want to come with you Um, for the rest of us this morning I'm gonna ask you in a moment to be very vulnerable before the Lord and come to this altar and kneel and pray. If you know right now there are people in your life that need Jesus, if you know right now in your life you're not living connecting people to Jesus, I mean sharing the gospel with those who are lost, my challenge for you this morning is you need to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit because that's where it starts. The Holy Spirit has to lead us and guide us and empower us. Apart from him, our intentions mean nothing. So come and ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything in my life quenching you in my life? Is there anything in my life getting in the way of you using me? And then come and ask to be filled. Ask him to fill you with his presence. Confess things in the way and ask him to fill you. And then ask him to give you gospel courage and unwavering confidence in the gospel so you can point men and women to Jesus. So that's the invitation. We're gonna sing for a few moments. And as we stand and we worship, I'm asking you, if you're not living this life, listen, it's gonna be easy for you to stand at your seat and just go, well, that was challenging and let me just kind of see if I can apply that. No, there's something about humbling ourselves before the Lord, kneeling and asking and praying and seeking his face to receive what he wants to give. You have not because you ask not. So come and kneel and pray and humble yourself before him. Earnestly ask him. Father, I'm asking now in the name of Jesus that you would move in our hearts in a way that embeds your word into the, to the core of our heart, that we would be humbled before you, not just hearers of the word, but those who do it. So level us this morning, fill us with your spirit, give us the strength that we need to live on mission in Jesus' name, amen.